0: Good morning. It was a pleasure to be with you again this morning. If you will please stand. If you have your Bibles, you can begin turning to 1 John chapter 2, we begin in verse 18, and going through chapter 3, verse 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. But this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar, if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father also. What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made himself to us, eternal life. I've written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, you may have confidence and do not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what a great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears... We will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Well, back in June, we looked at 1 John 2 as well, but we looked at verses 7 through 14. And we were talking about the joy of knowing the, the weighty God. I know there's been a little bit of life between then and now, probably a few ups, a few downs, maybe a little bit of confusion, just a little bit of Texas heat, and who knows what else. But there's a great bridge between 714 and as you jump in to 18, and it's that reminder of what is it that truly thrills our soul? Because when we realize what truly thrills our soul, when that comes from the Lord, it produces this hope, joy, and comfort that our hearts have been clamoring for this side of heaven. And so before we dive further into that, just a few things that others have said in regard to the book of 1 John that are helpful. Um, The British New Testament theologian Donald Guthrie said this about 1 John, nowhere else in the New Testament is the combination of faith and love so clearly brought out. And it seems probable that this is emphasized because the behavior of the readers leaves much to be desired. Essentially, has our head knowledge made our capacity to love others larger or smaller? Because that's what John is getting at. Has the work of the Lord? Has Christ changed us? Is sanctification doing its work? Also, remembering what John Piper said about 1 John, This book encourages believers to have the full assurance that they've been born again. That is, that they have new spiritual life in them that will never die. John wants you, God wants you to experience something in this letter that makes you profoundly confident that you have passed from death to life. So John and Jesus are jealous for us believers to know. Judgment is behind us. Death is behind us. Because our judgment happened when Jesus was judged in our place, and our death happened when Jesus died in our place. And therefore, new life is in us, and this life cannot perish, cannot be taken away. It's eternal. That's the assurance John and Jesus want for us. As First John 5.13 says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. So before we go a little bit further, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reading of your word. And we thank you that it is through your word that you guide, lead, direct comfort. And Lord God, that you remind us what you have done for us in Jesus. And Lord God, as we see the depths of our sin, help us to see, Lord God, that our sin will never outpace the cross. Lord, that it has covered us completely. Lord, that you would give us that assurance of salvation so that our souls would be truly thrilled at what you have done for us. Get the glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that we see in verses 18 through 27, the Christian expects opposition. I would imagine most in this room Uh, if not all, have either participated in organized sports or have watched organized sports. And one of the things that you know if you've participated or you watch is that you expect opposition. No one spends day after day, week after week, practicing and preparing to show up to the field, to show up to the court, and there's no opponent. It would be a little bit like Ecclesiastes where Solomon's talking about chasing after the wind. We see the guy out there chasing after the wind something's not right. And when you show up to a field, you show up to a court and there's not an opponent, something's not right. And one of the things in the Christian life, sometimes we're surprised that there's opposition. One of the things that John's doing here and scripture's clear about is that there will always be opposition. And for most of us, the head knowledge is there. We know it, but we quickly forget it. And so John is using this language here of Antichrist to remind us of this. He's not talking about the individual who's going to usher in the tribulation here. He's talking about individuals or groups of people who are opposed to Christ, the spirit of the Antichrist. And today we don't have to look far. There are many who are opposed to Christ. There are many who are opposed to his church and even want to at some points destroy his church and see it kids smaller and smaller. In this passage, it is God through the hand of John graciously reminding us, yeah, there's going to be opposition, but don't be overwhelmed. Because the thing is, is when opposition comes, we tend to get overwhelmed. For any of you that watch football, one of the things that they always say is get pressure on the quarterback, get pressure on the quarterback. Because when you get pressure on the quarterback, that tends to lead to mistakes. And that's one of the things that the enemy does for us is he wants to ramp up the pressure so that we're prone to sin, that we're prone to doubt. And that is how the opposition works. John in verse 26, reminding us of this. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. The enemy wants us to believe this God who you say you serve. He's not nearly as good as he says he is. In fact, you can't even take him at his word. That's just what he did with Eve back in the garden. And so some of those thought processes that may be running through our mind from the enemy, he's going, okay, God says he loves you. Well, if God loves you, then why were we passed over for the promotion? And why were we passed over for the promotion when we we really deserved it? Well, God says he's good and he says he's loving. Then why are we struggling with our health? Why are we struggling with our finances? Or if God is really for us, why do we have to watch our kids struggle? I mean, why would a loving God allow a parent to watch that? Or if God really cared about us, wouldn't he just make sure we could have whatever we wanted? Wouldn't he just be the ultimate grandparent, just granting everything we ever wanted? Or the enemy might say, you know what? You've worked really hard this week. It's been a busy week. It's been a full week. You just need to take a couple Sundays off. You need to have some me time. You need to make sure that you get your rest, that you do your thing. Discouraging us from being with the body. Or there's a whole host of other things that the enemy might say to get us to doubt the goodness of our God. But the other thing John's doing here is he's also reminding us, beware the sheep. In wolf's clothing. Um, The enemy's also going to discourage us with what appears like Christians falling away from the faith, like Christians losing their salvation. Verse 19 says this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. As Ryan mentioned, I had the privilege for 15 years of getting to work with junior high and senior high students. And yes, I do say privilege of working with junior high and senior high students because one of life's great delights was to see the Lord begin to work on that 13-year-old heart, that 14-year-old heart or 15-year-old heart. You would see the Lord at work in remarkable ways as he does more than we could ask or imagine in the lives of his children. But there was also each year as students would go to college or head to work, We would see students that didn't embrace the faith, students that didn't go to church once they left high school. And a lot of times researchers or those that study the church, things of that nature, will say, these are Christians leaving the church. What John is telling us here, these are students who never knew Christ. They never were Christians. And it's that reminder that church attendance, catechism memorization, going to a Christian school, attending a Bible study, or saying we're a Christian, it doesn't mean that the heart has ever been changed. We want those things. We pray for those things. But it doesn't mean that someone is necessarily a believer. So we as a youth staff would pray for our students, that they would come to know salvation soon when we saw that they were not involved in the life of a church or showing fruit of a Christian That they hadn't really gone from borrowed faith to saving faith and it's also a reminder not just for students but it's a reminder that there are a lot of those around us who may look like christians but are not and that's probably even more true in tyler texas than it is in other parts of the country there are folks who will attend church every week but their hearts have never been changed by the truths of the gospel And so John doesn't want the early church to become discouraged and lose heart as it appears individuals are falling away from the faith or losing their salvation. It's just the truth. They never knew Jesus as their savior. But we do pray one day that they will. The other thing about the opposition, John is reminding us, it's not only there, but this opposition, it's relentless. Um, Went to TCU. It was a fantastic year for TCU. TCU. Up until if any of you follow football know, there was this thing called a national championship game, and they played this team from Georgia that was kind of good. Um, the only thing that was going to stop the misery of that game was the fourth quarter clock hitting zero. There was nothing TCU could do to really essentially score or stop them. Or if some of you have lived in West Texas or been in West Texas, it's that dust storm coming at you. You see it and you know it's coming, and there's nothing we can physically do to stop that dust storm from coming. The opposition is coming at us like that. And we need to remember that because it's not just this cute, quaint little thing that, oh, hey, here's the enemy over here. If I just pet him, he's gonna go away. That's not how the enemy works. And John's being kind to tell us that. But the beauty here of the gospel, it's the gospel doesn't just say expect opposition and there's nothing you can do about it. Instead, it offers the only answer to the opposition, both in this life and the one to come. And that's the second thing that we look at. We see it in verses 21 through 24. It's the importance of preparation. Preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Or as I heard another pastor put it, sing the blues to God and preach the gospel to ourselves. Just as the doctor gives us a prescription to fight the illness, the Christian's prescription to fight the opposition is the gospel. And I love it, John's kind enough here He's reminding us of the opposition He's not saying ignore it or just go away it's, Or he's not even saying it's not that bad Or it's not that big of a deal Instead he's pointing us to the Father, the Son And then we can talk too of the Holy Spirit He's pointing us to the Trinity Verses 21 through 24 But you have been anointed by the Holy One And you all have knowledge, I write to you Not because you do not know the truth But because you know it and because no lie is of the truth, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you've heard from the beginning, and I love, I love how the ESV gets it here, abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. It's John saying, don't forget. Don't forget what you know. Don't forget what you've been taught. Don't forget what you've experienced. He's reminding us, hold fast to the promises that you already know. He's not giving them new information. He's telling them what they already know and that's why it's a reminder too as we visit other churches or any time that we hear sermons is the gospel there? Is the gospel presented? And as we hear it daily, it helps us fight the opposition. And it can be human nature to think, we just need to find a new way to fight the opposition. You know, we need a clever program or we need a clever saying or we need a clever advertisement or, or whatever it might be. No, we need the same thing that God has prescribed since Jesus went to the cross and took our sin. So it's not Jesus plus something else, or we need more spirit and less Jesus, or we need more Jesus, less spirit. It's reminding us, throw out all the other garbage. No, it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work within us for God's glory and soul thrilling joy. Verse 18, we get this language of last hour. What do we do with this language of last hour? Two things. Jesus is returning. And that is something for the Christian to rejoice in. We don't know the hour. We don't know the day. There's been a few people that have tried to predict that over the years. And there will be plenty more who will try to predict that. But we do not know. In last hour, it's the period of time between Jesus' death and resurrection and his eventual return. Second... Last hours at that language, we're all dying. Either you before me or me before you. And for some of us, it's like, man, we've, I've experienced more death than I've ever wanted to experience. That is very real. For others of us, that may hit us funny as I ask this question. But what are we doing? What are we doing to prepare for death? There's a lot of things that we prepare for in life. You know, we prepare for a career a lot of times by getting an education. You know, if any of you have planned a wedding recently, it's not just, hey, let's just show up to the church. I think it'll be unlocked. Let's get married there. And then we'll just go somewhere for the reception. There's just a few days that are spent planning. Probably more than a few thousand dollars spent as well. But you think of all the time that goes in to that first day. How much planning goes into the last day when we do die? And for me, this year, death is something that has hit on my doorstep more than it usually has. And my youngest son, we were driving in the car and he's like, dad, I've, I've been to more funerals this year than in my entire life. And it got me thinking, I was like, yeah. And the year started off in January. My grandfather lived almost 95 years live a great life. And then there's a lot of say, yeah, that's, that's a long time. And, th- and that was a hard death, but it was a, a good and great rejoicing that he's all the way home. But then there's other deaths that have hit my, across the street from where Redeemer meets is Sylvania Baptist Church. My father-in-law was the pastor there for over 20 years. My wife and I got married there and their senior pastor took his life. His son's in my son's class and so those are conversations we're having. And then the PCA, the denomination I'm a part of, it's been a year of death. I served in Evangel Presbytery and I'm still a member of Evangel Presbytery. Harry Reader, pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church, got to know my time there and hear him preach many times, driving in his car, gets in a car accident, passes away. And then someone that has affected uh, me greatly from hearing him teach to listening to his sermons to reading his books Tim Keller's death and then I have a buddy who's at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville Tennessee he's a senior pastor there his daughter was one of the ones that was killed in the shooting and he had to prepare that funeral and bury his daughter in ways that death comes you, there's there's no one that's thinking I'm going to drop my child off at school today and this isn't going to be it, and then it hit really close to home for us at Redeemer this past this past spring, just before the Ash Wednesday service. Ben sent us a text and said, "Hey, Rachel's just not feeling well. It's kind of been feeling down this week. We're we're going to take her in," and so they took her in. And Thursday, I'm coming back from Athens from from a work trip, and and I called Ben, and I can hear Rachel in the background, and. And he's like, hey, you know, essentially said towards the end of the conversation, we don't know what's going on, but it's gonna be okay, even if it's not okay. And that translates later, we find out that hey, they're wanted to air flight her to Dallas, so a lot of the congregation meets at someone's house for, for prayer, and then we get the text that they're not able to air flight her, that they're gonna have to do emergency surgery. So J.B. Wilbanks, former have Campus Pastor and I, we head up to the hospital, and a couple of the other elders follow us, and she gets out of surgery, and we're standing around her praying, and then early Friday morning, we get the text. She's passed away. 48 hours. 49 years old. Death is coming, and we don't know when, we don't know how, but it's something that usually is so far from our minds, but it's one of the guarantees that we have in this life, and I've always enjoyed listening to Tim Keller, but especially after his death, there was a a sermon that I was listening to. And these are a few of his words. And this is, and I didn't know this until after his death, that he had been diagnosed with cancer before. And this was before that operation, or this is reflecting back on before that operation. Uh, And these are a few of the things that he says. And his biggest encouragement is he says, look to the courageous Jesus. And he says this about the courageous Jesus. He gives boldness, even in the face of death, and courage for life's scariest moments. He says, defiance doesn't work. My sheer will doesn't work with death. We need true godly hope, because true godly hope will. He also says, let fear play its proper role. That is really good advice. Fear's not a bad thing but far too often it's not playing the proper role. And he says this, but godly hope soothes fear. He says, we're going to be raised one day and everything is gonna be made right. And he says, courage is not the world's way of looking to yourself and being the self-made man, but looking to Jesus and seeing what kind of love we have been given. And those words sound very similar to what John is saying. In chapter 3, verse 1, see, see what kind of love. Or NIV says, see what kind of love he has lavished upon us. And I love this. Real hope, it's not the absence of fear. It's the presence of joy. And then he quotes George Herbert where he says, death used to be an executioner. But the gospel makes death just a gardener. How good is that? And so he says, How to be sure we have hope. Believe in the only God who has courage as his attribute. Because when God became man, Jesus, a vulnerable human, and in the Garden of Gethsemane, is the greatest moment of courage because he could have left. He could have been defiant and said, bring it on by leaving. But Jesus was feeling fear in that dark hour as he lives, Hebrews 12, By enduring the opposition and not losing heart. By looking to the joy of his father and him pleasing his father and redeeming his friends. He says, this joy brings courage. Seeing him courageously die for us, then we can have courage. So whatever happens, it's going to be all right with us. Our family, church, and world Because the courageous Jesus holds on to us, holds on to you, holds on to me. My self-produced courage doesn't work. So he says, look to him and the joy he offers because of what he accomplished in his courageous act. And we can face whatever comes our way. And as I listened to that sermon, I listened to those words, I was like, that's why Ben and Rachel were able to say, It's okay, even if it's not okay. Because they knew that there is a life beyond this one that's even greater and even grander than what we have experienced here. And so we also have to ask ourselves, what are we doing with this time on earth? How are we preparing? How are we practicing things that that go beyond this physical earth? And one of the ways is with people. Do we look forward to this? Do we look forward to fellowship with God's people? And do we look to when it's good to insert ourselves into the lives of others, that it's iron sharpening iron? Do we look for opportunities to love others well, to serve, to be a blessing? And do we share the gospel with others? And this is more about living a life that reflects the gospel rather than going to the state fair and, and passing out tracts or standing at the corner of Loop and Broadway preaching, that, that's not John's aim. Rather, is there a fragrant aroma? Is there a pleasing aroma that comes from our lives? Not because of anything in us, but because the gospel is there. Some of us can maybe remember when we were playing at a, at a friend's house and then we walk in their house and there's this wonderful smell in the air. Chocolate chip cookies, muffins, something. And that smell is just drawing us closer and closer to the kitchen. Because of Christ's work in us, we should be that pleasant aroma, something that's beckoning others to come in and to partake because of what Christ has done for us. And I've got a buddy that I play golf with that this happened for him. He's from Germany. From Germany, ends up in Snyder, Texas, playing college golf. And he's in, he's... Really smart guy, but couldn't speak English. So that's why he ended up in Snyder, Texas. And his golf coach never held a Bible study. Never, you know, really talked about it. But he noticed something different about his coach. And so he asked him about it. That led to conversations. That led to salvation for my buddy, who is a strong believer to this day. And it was this pleasing aroma of his golf coach that was beckoning that was drawing him in another way that we can prepare or practice for the life that goes beyond this physical world is God's word because it's God's word that provides the instruction how to live in the present but it also reminds us of the life to come with the new heavens and the new earth the word prepares us for life beyond this physical one. Third prayer Are we on our knees before the God who has given us the hope of heaven as we pray for strength for the day and the joy of eternal glory? Those are three ways in which we can prepare, we can practice for the life that's to come after this one. Preparation. It's a necessity in the life of a Christian. It enables the Christian to fight the opposition. And that leads us to our third and final thing. Verse 27 through the first three verses of chapter three, it it begs the question, Are we going to shrink back? Are we going to live in Christ's confidence? Um, What does shrinking back maybe look like? It's if we believe the opposition and we ignore the promises of God. It would be like all week our coach saying, y'all are terrible. You're nowhere near as good as that team you're about to face. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, they're smarter. They're everything better than you. And then we believe Him. And so we don't prepare. And we only put forth this half-hearted effort. And it's that shrinking back is really, you know, worse than not showing up to play. Because for the Christian, we've been given the guarantee of victory. As I said, this past year was a great year for TCU football. My son and I went to the TCU Baylor game. And one of the things that I love about modern technology is you have this thing called DVR, record live TV. And that's usually how I like to watch college football games, because I watch them in about an hour and a half instead of four hours. But what happens sometimes is someone says, hey, did you catch the score to this game? And so you watch the game and you know the outcome. Well, that TCU-Baylor game, there was nothing in that game that would say TCU is going to win this game. You know, TCU never pulled ahead. And then at the end, it looks like mass chaos as they're trying to get their field goal unit out onto the field. It looks like they're just wasting time. They don't know what they're doing. And then at the end of the game, they kick the field goal, clock winds down, they win the game. I would be watching that game much differently when I know the outcome. I'm not fretting about the interception. I'm not worried about the chaos of them trying to make this field goal. I'm able to watch that game in confidence because I know how it ends. And the Christian we're able to live in confidence because we know how this story ends. And Shane and Shane sum it up very well in a song that was released not long ago, You've Already Won, where they say there's a peace that outlasts darkness, hope that's in the blood. And I love this. There's a future grace that's mine today, that Jesus has won. So I can face tomorrow. For tomorrow's in your hands. All I need, you will provide just like you always have. And I'm fighting a battle you've already won. No matter what comes my way, I will overcome. Don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. There's mercy in the waiting, manna for today. And when it's gone, I know you're not. You are my hope and stay. When the sea is raging, your spirit is my help. He'll fix my eyes on Jesus Christ. I'll say that it is well. I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. No more fear in life or death. I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. That's the truth for us as Christians. We're still fighting. But that battle has been won. Because of Jesus Christ. And we are called, as John tells us here, we are called children of God. And that is a title that should thrill our souls. But sadly, there's usually other titles in life that might excite us more. Hey, I've been named CEO or president or I'm the founder of this company. Or hey, I've been named starting quarterback. I'm the smartest. I'm a mom. I'm a dad. I'm Texas born and bred. There's a lot of titles that are not necessarily bad things. Far too often, we're more excited about those than the fact that we are all children of God. And that should give us more confidence than any other title or pithy saying. For us as believers, what a joy to know that our confidence is not rooted in another individual. It's not rooted in our accomplishments or our lack of them. It's not rooted with who sits in the Oval Office or anything else in this world. The Christian's confidence is rooted in the courageous and redemptive work of Jesus Christ as we're called children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are your children. And Lord, I pray that that title would excite us day in and day out. Lord, that as we understand the gravity of that title, Lord, may you make us a pleasing aroma to those around us, that there may be more that come to know you. And we pray, Lord God, that you would do a great work right here at Tyler Prez, throughout the Tyler community, and well beyond, as you make much of yourself. Lord God, may others see, know, and experience the courageous and redemptive work of the son you sent for us. Oh God, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.